Our series beginning tonight is called Seven Prayers, Seven Simple Prayers That Can Change Your Life. And we're going to begin kind of at the beginning, 2,000 years ago. Jesus' disciples came to him with an important request. And their request is found in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, now that's very important, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. That's the request. Lord, teach us to pray. Please notice something. I used to skip over this, and then one day I noticed it. They didn't say, teach us how to pray. They said, teach us to pray. In other words, it was more about motivation than method. It was more about hunger than it was about structure. It was more about thirst than it was about technique. And, and that phrase in that verse is very important. As he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that's when they asked the question. You see, they had watched Jesus praying and they wanted that. They wanted his passion more than just a prayer plan. Now, there's nothing wrong with having an organized approach. In fact, some of you, you need to be organized or you would die because that's your personality. There's nothing wrong with having organized thoughts and an organized way to approach God. Not at all. But what they were really after was not Jesus, show us a chart. It was Jesus, we've watched you pray and we want that. Teach us to pray. Not just teach us how to pray. There are thousands of books on that subject. But teach us to pray. And in response to their question, Jesus taught a very short course, but what we would call a master class on prayer. It's what we now call the Lord's Prayer. It's probably the most quoted words in the history of the human race. But Jesus wasn't just giving us a paragraph to be memorized, to be repeated. It wasn't just a pattern to be memorized and then repeated. He was telling us and he was showing them in that day just how simple prayer can actually be. I'm praying that the Lord will help me convey that to all of you people that I love. Just how simple prayer can actually be. Because prayer at its beginning and its end is simply a conversation with God. That is prayer. End of story, full stop. The most meaningful conversations with the most meaningful people in our lives, I want you to think about them for a moment. Think about those most meaningful people. For many of you, you're seated beside one of them. You're seated among several of them. The most meaningful people in our lives. Think about the most meaningful conversations that you have with them. Those conversations are informal and they are candid. They are totally transparent. Without rigid, rigid structure, without any specific agenda... And when you think about the most meaningful conversations with the most meaningful people in your lives, you don't have to plan them. You just have them. Those 
Conversations are as natural as breathing. They are effortless. And can I say, they are usually endless. You just pick up where you left off when you get up tomorrow or when you see them next week at church or when you talk to them on the phone, whatever it may be. They are effortless. They are usually endless. And they are sometimes even voiceless. You've had the experience of being with someone that you love very much, that you're very close to. And maybe you or they are going through some terrible time of grief or loss or hurt or pain. You don't have to say a word. Some of the most meaningful conversations with the most meaningful people in your lives, it's just being in their presence that seems to be enough. They are voiceless. And so, brothers and sisters, that's really how prayer should be. Prayer is not pressure. It is not performance. Prayer is not planning. It is definitely not pretending or posturing. That's not prayer. This is prayer we're talking about. It is simply having a conversation with God. It is easier than you think. It is simpler than you have made it. It is more enjoyable than 10,000 religious books would make you feel about it. And that is why before Jesus ever told us how to pray, he told us how not to pray. Here are the ground rules from Jesus himself for having a good conversation with Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 6. This is the other spot where the Lord's Prayer is recorded in the Bible. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. And everybody said a hearty amen. Because here's what hypocrites love to do. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. They pray publicly. They don't do a lot of praying privately. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into your closet. When you have shut your door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And your father which sees in secret, he will reward you openly. The first ground rule of effective prayer, of enjoyable prayer, of simply praying, of doing what Jesus did so naturally is be real. Don't pray to be seen and don't pray to be heard. You don't pray, we don't pray to impress anybody else. And you're certainly not praying to impress God because he already saw you when you messed up. He already knows everything there is to know about you. So, so don't pray to impress God and don't pray to impress anybody else. Just talk to God like you would talk to your best friend. You know, sometimes in church services, we can get a little carried away. Uh, we, we read mostly, not always, not exclusively, but we read mostly from the King James version of the Holy Scripture. There's a, a wonderful and a logical and a good reason for that. The King James Version is the most accurate word-for-word -word translation that we have in the English language. But it's uh, 410 years old. And so I read it. You, you saw some words there in that scripture. You see them on the screen. Thee and thou and thine. And, 
And, and so sometimes we get the impression, I, I fear, that from, from reading this manuscript, the newest parts of the Bible are 2,000 years old. Sometimes we get the impression that God expects us to talk like that. God doesn't expect you to talk like that. Your prayer language, can I please take a load of pressure off you? Your prayer language between you and God shouldn't be all that different than your language between you and your friends. I'm not trying to be funny, but maybe this will be funny. If you say ain't when you talk to your friends, it's okay to say ain't when you talk to God. Not thou art not. It's okay. You just talk to God like you talk to your friends. You can talk to God about everything and about anything that is on your heart. It could be big. It could be crushing. Or it could be small. And to everybody else in this room, maybe insignificant, but not to you. You can talk to God about everything that is right in your world and everything that is wrong in your world. You can even talk to God about everything you feel is wrong in his world and everything that you think is right in his world. Prayer is just talking to God. Prayer is simply having a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus carries on and he gives us another major rule on how not to pray before he tells us how we should pray. He says in verse 7, but when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. There are a lot of religions where prayer is like a chant of certain words that are said and they feel if they say those consistently, regularly, accurately, over and over again, then they please their deity. Christianity is not such a religion. We do not play, pray vain repetitions. They think they will be heard for their much speaking. Prayer is not about quantity. Prayer is about quality. Uh, you know, you, you, can, um, you can spend a lot of time in the same room with other people. But that's different than if you're in the same room with a, a lifelong friend or your uh, partner in life, your spouse. It's different if you're in a room with your kids. There's a connection there. And so it's not about the, the, the quantity of speaking. It's about the quality of speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. Don't do it that way, Jesus says. For your father knows what things you have need, for, need of before you ask him. He already knows what you need. He already knows how you feel. He already knows what's going on before you ever tell him about it. So Jesus' first rule of prayer is just be real. You know, don't pray to be seen. Don't pray to be heard. His second rule of, of prayer is just be specific. Pray simply and pray confidently and tell God what you want. Don't just use vain repetitions. And if I could speak to the Pentecostal folks whom I love and I'm one of you, don't just mindlessly repeat the same phrases over and over and over again. Um, you know, that's not really, uh, that's not really having a conversation with God. Uh, now, I'm not against if you get, you know, uh, we, I, I have no idea of what you do at home. You may sit at your kitchen table and look at your wife and say, I love you, 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 I love you. I have an idea of what Beverly, common sense, Beverly would say to me if I just sat at the counter in the kitchen and just said, 
I love you, babe. I love you, babe. I love you, babe. I love you, babe. I love... She would say, go down to your office and do some work. I know what she would say. <laughs> I know what she would say. And so sometimes we repeat ourselves, especially if we're uh, overjoyed about something or whatever. So I'm not saying never. I'm just saying don't make that your, your habit of prayer. Just the same word over and over, the same uh, uh, words back and forth, because that falls dangerously close to vain repetition. And I think sometimes the reason we do that is because we think we've got to pray some religious sounding way, like hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, there's nothing wrong with hallelujah. It's a powerful scriptural word, but Jesus wants to hear how your day's going. Can I be that simple? Jesus wants to hear what's burdening your heart. Jesus wants to hear about the people that you care about because guess what? He cares about them too. So he's waiting for you to talk to him. And if I could one more time address the Pentecostals that are in this room, whom I love and I'm part of you, you are filled with the beautiful and powerful gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And so it is normal, it is typical, we call it praying in the Spirit. Paul referred to it. The epistles talk about it. Praying in the Spirit is a powerful way to pray. But praying in the spirit, praying in other tongues is only powerful if your mind is actually in the room. It's not powerful if you're just going over and over and over it and you're not even thinking about it. You're thinking about something else. And so be careful of that because Jesus says, don't use vain repetition, empty, uh, rote repetition. Just have a conversation with him. Don't pray in religious lingo that you may have picked up in church. You are having a conversation. Speak in your voice. Speak in your vocabulary. Please just tell Jesus how you feel about you, how you feel about others. That could take a while. <laughs> and tell Jesus while you're at it how you feel about him. You may need to tell Jesus someday. Jesus, I feel like you let me down. I feel like you disappointed me. But more often than not, you're going to be saying, oh, Jesus, I love you. And you've made my life worth living. And you protected my family when we had that near accident. And, and there will be so many ways to talk to Jesus about yourself and about others and about him. Tell God what you need. Tell God what you want. That's okay. Tell God where you're hurting and where you're happy. Tell him what you're afraid of. Tell him what you're excited about. You can tell God anything. You can tell God everything. He is listening for it. He wants to talk with you. Now, here's my struggle, okay? Because I, I, I really try to be efficient. I'm not always, but I really try. And I like having all my ducks in a row and all my papers stacked up, you know, and everything stapled and put away and... So this is my struggle. It's right there in the end of verse 8. He already knows what I'm going to say before I even ask him. To which, can I just be honest and transparent? It's like, okay, what's the point? You already know. Look after it. I'm going to go get a coffee. Is that too transparent? He already knows about it, Pastor. So what's the point of praying if he already knows what I need, what I want, how I feel, if he already knows even what I'm going to say? What's the point? 
Please don't give me that excuse and please don't give God that excuse because if I could just talk about you and your relationships, almost every one of your friends, certainly your family, they already know exactly what you feel. They already know exactly what you think. They know every opinion. They've heard every one of your stories. They've heard all your corny jokes that please spare us their thinking when you start again. They even know what you're going to say. They, that's why your best friends can interrupt you and finish your sentences. And yet you don't stop talking to them because they know how you feel. They know how you think. They know what you're going through and they know what you're about to say. You don't stop talking to them. Why? Because it's a relationship. That's why. And so it's the same with God. It's a relationship with Jesus. And so just because he's God and he already knows, he's wanting more than just you rattling off a list. He wants to have a conversation with you. A never-ending, lifelong conversation. Meaningful and powerful and beautiful because you have a relationship. And so if I could give you a gift through this Bible study series, uh, I'll give you a hint for all of you that don't have a prophetic gift. It's going to be seven parts. <laughs> now, if you have a prophetic gift, you already knew that. If I could give you a gift through this little Bible study series, it would be the gift of seeing prayer as something simple, as natural as breathing, as easy as talking. As wonderful as friendship, as powerful as love, that's prayer. And sometimes, just like your earthly relationships, let's be honest, sometimes prayer is as emotional as an argument. It's as insistent as a debate. Prayer can be as joyful as shared laughter, and prayer can be as comforting as a hug. Prayer is amazing because God is amazing. That's why prayer is amazing. Prayer is powerful because God is powerful. Prayer is comforting because he's our comforter. Prayer is healing because he's our healer. And so th this is why we pray. For this series, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer recorded by Matthew, and we're also going to look at the seven I am statements of Jesus recorded by John, and we're going to try to parallel them, and we're going to boil them down into seven simple prayers. In fact, seven one-word prayers. How's that for simple? And these prayers, in all seriousness and in all sincerity, they can absolutely change your life if you pray them. And so we'll start at the beginning. Jesus heads into what we call the Lord's Prayer, and here's his first phrase. Our Father, which art in heaven. Would you say that with me? Our Father, which art in heaven. And John, he records this I am statement of Jesus, and it's very uh, profound theologically. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Now, the very first prayer we encounter 
uh, if we could boil it down into one word, it would be the heartfelt cry of a child to their father. That's the first one word prayer. And if I could boil it all down, I'd put it in one word that you've used. Everybody say help. Dad, Father, God, Jesus, I need help. Prayer begins by knowing who to turn to. And you cannot get to the Father unless you know Jesus because that's who he is. Jesus said, he that has seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. So, so Father is not some kind of random, misty, sentimental concept of God. Jesus is the Father of all creation. Earlier this month, I took, as soon as we opened up uh, kids' ministry and we opened up our playground, that beautiful playground that you folks uh, uh, gave money for, and we, we, we put it down there, and the kids love it. It's amazing in Sunday school. Earlier this month, when we finally got everything back open a little bit for kids' ministry, one night after service, I took the four uh, grandbabies downstairs. I, uh, Beverly went with me, but she was incidental. It's me and those grandbabies. And, and we went downstairs. I'm joking. We went downstairs to the playground. And it had literally just like I think a day earlier had all the, we had that poor thing all tied up and, and sealed off. And it was like the CIA had been there. And, and so the, we'd taken that all off and, and we let them go on the slides. And it was wonderful. They were having a wonderful time. But when we built that playground, uh, we, we had a little tiny challenge. And it, it affects uh, the youngest members of our church the most. There are these beautiful uh, crisscrossing green tunnels with little tiny windows in them and the kids go down there. The only problem is they're very slippery and some of our kids are like this tall. And so they, they get down, the nursery class, they get, they get down and, and uh, they, they get in those tunnels and they all start piling up because it's slippery enough that they can't climb out. It's, it's like a bunch of ants in a jar trying to get to the top and one pulls them down and only the difference is that these ants cry. And, and so we were having, when we first opened it, we were having these pileups of these precious little tiny kids. They get all on top of each other down in the middle of these tunnels and they'd all be crying and whatever. So, so your brave uh, senior pastor, I crawled down. Uh, into the tube with uh, Velcro strips. And we put Velcro strips every so often uh, on the, the tube. And I almost would still be there if it hadn't been for the Velcro strips. They're very slippery. And so we got Velcro strips and whatever. Any day now, I'm looking for a picture uh, on Pastor Jack's phone to appear somewhere that he took from behind me while I was indisposed. But I don't know that for sure. But it's typically the case. And, and so we had these Velcro strips, which made it okay for most children. But Annie's only like this tall. And so she got down there the other night after church a few weeks ago. And, and all of a sudden, I heard this little cry. And it's cute now. It was not cute then. It was just, help me, help me. And she said it over and over. And she was weeping. And uh, instantly... Uh, I forgot that we had three other grandchildren. 
I left them in the capable care of Beverly and I went diving head first down into one of the, the, the slippery green, green tubes and, and got a hold of Annie and, and helped her pull up and she was fine. She started crying help because she knew she couldn't handle it on her own. She couldn't get out on her own, but she knew that I would help her get out if she could just get my attention. She called out help. Help is simply a confession of need. It's expressed to a God that we know can meet that need. The little kid's prayer that we teach our children goes, God is great, God is good. See, our God is good enough to care about what you need, but he's also great enough to help you meet that need. He is your father. You call to your father for help. And if it matters to you, it matters to him. He's ready to help you, the Bible teaches us, whenever we call on him. There are lots of reasons we don't ask for help. We don't want to look weak. We don't want to look dumb. We don't want to be in debt to someone. We're embarrassed to ask for help. There are lots of reasons we don't ask for help. Maybe we don't realize we need help or we don't want to give up control even though we know what we're doing isn't working. And they tell me that there is one gender in particular that often has a hard time asking for help. I'm not sure which of the two genders that would be. One study revealed that even in this wonderful, marvelous modern age of GPS, the average man drives 276 miles a year totally lost because he doesn't want to stop and ask for directions. That's average. Some of you are much higher. <laughs> In Pentecostal churches, we often say, turn to your neighbor and say, and it could be praise the Lord or welcome or whatever. We say that all the time. Turn to your neighbor and say, I know some of you just want to slap us when we do that. But it, it's better now because until COVID-19, we used to say, turn and touch your neighbor and say, touch your neighbor and say, touch your neighbor and say, put your hand on your neighbor's shoulder, shake your neighbor's hand and say, we don't do that anymore. We're not allowed. So some of you, that's like, that made your life. You actually like church now because you don't have to do anything with your neighbor. <laughs> You're not supposed to have this much fun teaching a Bible lesson. So tonight, if I was going to ask you, I would ask you to uh, turn to your neighbor and say, I need help. But I know for some of you, that would be far too vulnerable. So I've got one easier for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need help. Would you do that right now? <laughs> now, some of you that haven't spoken to your neighbor yet tonight, you did that. You need help. And you know what? It's true. They need help. But you know what else is true? You need help too. The great danger in life is if we don't get help, brothers and sisters, what started out as a little problem will turn into a crisis. What started out as overspending could end up with us deep in debt over our head. 
what starts out as unresolved conflict could end up in a tragic divorce. What started out as gossip could end up dividing a friendship. What started out as an occasional indulgence becomes an addiction. A problem with flirtation or temptation could turn into an affair. A problem with procrastination could turn into laziness or unemployment. A problem with being sarcastic or negative could turn into a lonely life where nobody even wants to be your friend. A problem with sin could end up with you being backslidden or eternally lost. So the great danger is if we don't get help, what starts out small can get big. And the truth is, it takes far more courage to say that word or to pray that word, that one little word, help. It takes far more courage to do that than to continue to hide and pretend and deny that there's a problem. If you don't hear anything else, please hear this. Asking for help isn't weakness. It is strength. Asking for help is strength. In fact, needing help is the way God created us. One of the Bible's most used names for the Lord is my helper or my help. And we don't even get out of the Garden of Eden before God declares to us that we need each other. Now this is specifically in the context of marriage, but I'll expand it tonight for the whole human race. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Now that's husband and wife. But can I please tell you, you need help from other human beings. You need to know people. You need to be in relationship with people. You need to be in fellowship with people that are serving your God, living your kind of life, obeying that Bible, worshiping Jesus. You need that kind of influence. Now, sometimes other people can help me. They can come into my life and they can be a helper to me. Sometimes others can help. But all the time, God can help me. So the important thing is to ask him. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. The second you get in trouble, his ear is attuned, just waiting for you to admit that you need his help. And if you will admit you need his help, he's present, immediately present, never absent from you. The writer of Hebrews said, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I refuse to fear things in this world when I've got God on my side. I refuse to fear what the devil can attempt or what man can do or what the world can do because I have God on my side. The Lord is my helper. But that means I need to ask him for help sometimes. Would you say it out loud? Say, help. help. You see, the word help can change your life if you'll only pray it. If you'll only look in the face of your father and say, Jesus, I need help. That could change everything for somebody in this room tonight. If you just stop 
flailing your arms. And if you just stop pretending, you've got it all in control. And if you just stop pushing everybody away because you don't want anybody to know, I don't care about them. But, but God, you need to tell him. He's waiting for you to admit, Jesus, I need help. And he's a very present help in the time of trouble. You hardly get that little word out of your mouth before he is right there to hear about it and to look after it and to get you through it. Every once in a while, you just got to pray a simple prayer. It's not complicated. It's not profound. It's not something somebody's going to teach a course on at university. It's just sincere. It's just transparent. It's just real. Jesus, I need help. And if you'll learn to pray that, that's not weakness. That is strength. The word help can change your life if you'll only pray it. Because we were created to live, not in independence, but in continual dependence on God. I understand that looks like weakness to the world, but it is actually strength. It is abundant life when you have, imagine, a running conversation with your creator about everything that matters to you. That isn't weakness. That is strength. That isn't bondage of religion. That is life and life more abundantly that I can talk to Jesus about anything. Now, you know what life's like. Your circumstances will eventually teach you that you need help. Even life teaches us that lesson. If a mother or father lives long enough, the children become the parents and the parents become the children. To speak kindly but frankly, we enter this world needing our parents to help us get dressed, to help us eat our food, and to help us go to the bathroom. But if we live long enough, we end up needing our children to help us get dressed, to help us eat our food, and even to help us go to the bathroom. We are born needing help, and we die needing help. That's real. That's life. The problem is in between. The problem is in the middle. Because while we're strong, we can fool ourselves into thinking, I don't need help. But that's a lie. All it takes is a little age or a little health scare or a little accident or a little financial trouble, a little job loss or family issue or marital problem or a personal situation. All it takes is one of those things to invade your life and then finally, you will remember one simple word, one simple prayer. Father, help. That's not the prayer of somebody that doesn't have their act together. That's the prayer of somebody that realizes that our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he created everything you can see and touch and he can help you if you'll ask. Um, within 
shooting distance of being done. Would you lift up your hands right now and would you just talk to Jesus for a moment? Don't, don't just fill the air with religious words. Tell him what you feel right now. Tell him. You can, I, I know it's sensitive. I know it's personal. But even under your breath, you can say, oh, Jesus, you know exactly what I need help with. You know exactly where I've messed it up. You know exactly, Jesus, and I'm calling on you for help. Let me tell you, he's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. I don't care what kind of trouble you're in or how you got there or if it's your own fault. If you'll just call on him for help, he's ever-present right in the middle of it. Whatever the reason is behind it, he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. I love you for your presence that is in this room right now. I thank you for the privilege of being in this room right now. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Psalm chapter 109, verse 26. Why would you wait for a crisis when God wants to talk to you today? Why would you wait until the bottom falls out of everything and, and life upends before you talk to him? He wants to hear from you today. Help me, O Lord my God. There it is. Simple. It's not a complicated prayer. It's the simplest prayer in the world. In fact, if I could say it this way, the reason I think it, the, the whole father concept is at the beginning of the Lord's prayer is because this is the most instinctive prayer in the world. Help. Help me, O Lord my God. O save me according to thy mercy. Aren't you forever grateful that when we do call for help, God doesn't show up to shame us. He doesn't show up to beat us over the head and tell us everything we did wrong, but he shows up according to his mercy. I don't know how many mistakes you've made in your life. I could keep you here for a number of weeks if I could think of and remember all the mistakes I've made in my life. Guess what? Those mistakes aren't present with me. Those mistakes aren't on my record. Those mistakes, I don't have to stand in judgment for them. They are under the blood because when I called on him for help, he showed up in his mercy. When I called on him for help, he was immediately present to help me get through it. And you've tried. Many of us have tried. Looking everywhere else. And can I just say, this prayer thing is not complicated, brothers and sisters. You've already talked to a lot of other people about what you need to talk to God about. You've talked to them on the phone. You've texted them. You've Facebook messaged them. You, you've sent them all kinds of stuff. You have already talked to all the wrong people about the problem. Because although they love you and they're nice to you and they're your friend, they can't do one thing to heal your body. They can't do one thing to turn that situation at home around. They would love to help, but they're powerless to help so many times. So prayer isn't complicated. Prayer isn't some weird religious discipline or duty. Prayer is just giving Jesus the same favor that you give everybody else. If they know you, they know about you. 
If they're your friend, they're involved in your life. Can I tell you, that's what Jesus wants out of you. He doesn't want some crushing burden of a religious duty. He just wants to be included in your everyday life. If you'll call them on the phone, stop for a minute and talk to him up in heaven because I promise you, he can do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think in response to your cry for help. The Bible says, when you've tried everything else and you've talked to everybody else, you need to look in a different direction. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. That's the direction you need to look in. That's the direction you need to go. I want to go to these scriptures next because some people say, well, it's my fault, Pastor Raymond. I don't think Jesus wants to hear from me. Maybe he wants to hear from you. Maybe he wants to hear from some of those other wonderful people at CCC. But I don't think he wants to hear from me because God knows and I know that the situation I'm in is my own fault. But your past doesn't matter to God because he can forgive it and restore it. No matter what mess you're in, he can help. Look at this first verse, Hosea 13 verse 9. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. God's not going to lie. God's not going to tell him it's okay when it's not okay. God said through the prophet Hosea, Israel, you have destroyed yourself. It is your fault. You dug the hole. You made the mess. You took the wrong turn. You were rebellious. Israel, you have destroyed yourself. But in me is your help. If you'll just turn to me, I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how messed up it is. And I don't care how much you're at fault. You've destroyed yourself, but I can still help. You took the wrong turn that messed up the relationship, that, that hurt everybody around you, that, that destroyed something in you, that took your innocence. You messed it up, but in me is your help. Whatever you've done, God invites you to come to his throne for help. And the path to his throne, brothers and sisters, is prayer. That's the path to his throne. Let us, therefore, come boldly under the throne of grace, not the seat of condemnation or judgment. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Somebody say, help. That's the simplest kind of a prayer that you could pray. But if somebody here tonight would learn to put away just the pretense of praying and actually talk to Jesus about it, you will find that he can do amazing things with your life. One last scripture. I know this is a simple lesson about a simple subject from a simple kind of a guy. It's just a simple prayer, but it's a prayer to your father. Your children don't have to be profound when they talk to you. In fact, I can guarantee they're not. They just spill it. Whatever's in their heart comes out to you. If they're sad, if they're angry, if they're hurting, if somebody has offended them or scared them, 
Your children, they don't have to pose it and make it profound. Those little children, they just express whatever's in their heart. And Jesus is the one who told us that unless we become like little children, we, we, we can't be part of, we can't inherit the kingdom of heaven because we're not honest is why. But if we're like little children, we just, whatever fills your heart, you can just spill it in God's presence and talk to him about it. It's a simple prayer, but it's a prayer to your father. And he's all powerful and he cares. He loves you. So if you'll ask him, if you'll say help, he'll answer that simple prayer. The Lord preserveth the simple. That word there means childlike. The Lord preserves those who are like children. And then the psalmist observes this. I was brought low, but he helped me. Has anybody ever had that experience? I was brought low, but Jesus helped me. Well, he wants to do it again. It doesn't just take a trauma, a crisis. It doesn't just take some life upending situation for God to be interested. He's interested in what you thought of the sunrise or the nice day or what you think about your precious family. As you're thinking about how much you love them, let that out to God. It's conversation. As you're thinking about your frustrations on your job, don't just bottle that up. That hurts you. Let that out to God and tell him when, when you're afraid. At what time I am afraid, I'll put my trust in you, God. You know, there, there, there's such a benefit to being like children. The Lord preserveth the childlike, the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. She was born 110 years ago today. Her name was uh, Violet Flowers. And she was Beverly's grandmother. That lady was a prayer warrior. She used to sit in her rocking chair in her little humble, tiny home in Ripples and pray by the hour. My impression of her when I first got connected with Beverly and her wonderful family, my impression of her was that she had spent so much of her life crying. Her eyes were just kind of like permanently puffy. She was humble, not very noticeable by this world's standards, but she was powerful. She... Um, fell in love with every pastor that they ever had at the little country church in Ripples. And one of her pastors, he and his wife and their family who were small, they ended up leaving that church and moving to another church here in New Brunswick in Harvey Station. And one night, I memory serves, it was the middle of the night. One night, the parsonage in Harvey Station caught on fire and the flames were racing through that house and the children had uh, bedrooms in the basement 
and those little small windows uh, on an older house. And the pastor and his wife, they got out in the parking lot between the parsonage and the church and everybody's frantic and, and anxious and scared. And then they realize that one of their children is still down in the basement and the flames and the smoke and the heat. What they did not know is that at that precise moment, miles away, God woke up violet flowers who just talked to the Lord all the time. And somehow in his, in her spirit, in the way he communicated with her, he just let her know that that pastor and his family need help right now. She sat in a, an, an old rocking chair that we uh, have now. It's a, a treasure. And she just prayed until it passed. And somehow God gave that pastor the strength and the presence of mind and the agility to, to bust out that little tiny window and to get in there and get his child out. And everybody was okay. They're all still living. Everybody's healthy and fine as far as I know. There's nothing like talking to Jesus and just saying, help. I need help. My pastor needs help. My kids need help. My wife needs help. Jesus, help. That's not weakness. That is the strongest thing you can do. To not rely on the arm of flesh, but to rely on the arm of God. Underneath are the everlasting arms. It's not complicated. It's not religious. It is not a burden. It is not an obligation. It's a conversation with God. It's as personal and as private. It's as heart-wrenching or as joyous as that day's circumstances may require. Simple prayers that can change your life. And that's the first one. I know in a room like this, there are some needs represented here tonight. Let me tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to teach a series on prayer and not pray. <laughs> I know there are needs here tonight. I bring with me tonight uh, needs for uh, a pastor, needs for two missionaries that I've communicated with in the last uh, few hours. Uh, these are important needs. They're heavy needs. And they're, they're important to me. They're important to God. And you have needs in your life. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me right now. And I'm going to ask if you would lift up your hands. And we're going to begin our prayer by reaching out to our Father. <laughs> our Father, which art in heaven. He's bigger than you are. He's stronger than you are. He's smarter than you are. He's more resourced than you are. He's more able than you are. Would you lift up your voice and just worship Him for a moment in this room and at home, wherever you're watching. I wish you would join us right now and just lift up worship to God right now, right now. 
I love you, Jesus. I lift up my praise to you. You're so big and your power is so great. And Jesus, you know the needs that burden my heart and you know the fears that encumber my mind and you know where I'm scared and you know where I've been hurt and you know where I'm sad and you know where I feel alone and you know where, Jesus, I'm confused and you know where I'm tempted. You know all of that, Jesus. I bring it to you tonight and I say, Jesus, help. I'm not ashamed to say help. I'm not embarrassed to say help. I'm not too big to say help. I'm definitely not too strong to say help. In your bubbles, we're not asking you to break rules. Would you take somebody by the hand? Would you put your hand on their shoulder? Would you put your arm around them? In your bubbles, I'm not asking you to break rules. But many of the issues that, that we face, many of the challenges that we encounter happen in those relationships. They're the most important relationships we have. It's okay to pray honestly before God. Can I tell you, it's okay to pray honestly before them too. Would you just lift up everything you got right now as we uh, bring this Bible study to a close. But Jesus has stepped into this room. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Help those missionaries open up a way where right now there is no way. Add your strength to their efforts, God. They don't know what they're going to do. Help them, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, God. I need thee, oh. I need Every hour I 